reading this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. And the Bible found in the pew, that's on page 1007. And it's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. And it reads, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Perhaps you have worked in the retail world and maybe served as a cashier or maybe you're a banker or maybe you somehow or some way, form or fashion have, have handled money. I guess even if you haven't worked in those areas, you've handled money and you've needed that in order to uh, sustain your life, in order to be able to share, uh, in order to be able to pay for the things that you need to pay for. And if you've been in that retail industry, if you've been a banker, you know that, that you have to go to certain measures to try to assume or to, to try to assure that your, uh, your currency is genuine, that it's not counterfeit. And so maybe you've had a marker of some sort that as you get a $100 bill, you, you draw across that, that bill and you make sure that it turns a certain color or doesn't turn a certain color or whatever the, the marker is designed to do. And you, you make sure that it's, it's genuine currency. Uh, if you're like me, you, you do a lot of your transactions over Facebook Marketplace. Uh, you sell things and you buy things there. And, and in cases where I've sold things on Facebook Marketplace, sometimes I'm a little bit wary of the currency that I might get. Uh, I'm not one that's a, a regular institution that sells things that, that can maybe check some of those gen, uh, genuine currencies. And so sometimes you wonder if you're getting some, some uh, legitimate uh, payment or not, whether or not it's counterfeit. Can you imagine, though, if you went into a doctor's office and it turns out that as the doctor begins to work on you, maybe even begins to have surgery, uh, schedule surgery, and you begin to go in uh, to that surgical procedure and you find out that that doctor that's working on you is also a counterfeit, that that doctor didn't actually have the credentials that he claimed to have, in fact, there's, a, there's an account of an actual situation that happened in 1982 in which a man, Pedro de Masones, was actually selling out and giving out uh, counterfeit medical degrees, medical licenses, to the point that a number of dozens of individuals were practicing in the United States without the proper credentials. And can you imagine if that were you going in and finding that out and being at the edge of the knife with somebody like that? And you can, you can certainly say that, man, that would, definitely, that would definitely worry me and that would definitely give me cause for concern. But what about the case of a faith that is counterfeit? This morning, I want you to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and let us look at a couple of verses here at the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter number 1. When Paul was in prison awaiting his imminent death, the apostle wrote to Timothy, and he mentioned his remembrance of him and his frequent prayers in verse number 3. And he expressed a desire to see him, that he would, seeing him would fill him with joy in verse number 4. But look at verse number 5. 
He's thankful when he calls to remembrance the, notice, genuine faith that is in you, talking to Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. The genuine faith that I am persuaded is in you also. As we discuss this idea of maybe a counterfeit currency and the damage that it could cause to someone's bank account if it came, came about that the currency that they received was actually counterfeit. And if, as we consider the, the idea of, of genuine or counterfeit medical licenses that, that the damage that those things could do if they turned out to not be actually genuine and the person working with them and the damage that they might cause to an individual. But I submit to you this morning that a genuine faith is far more important and a counterfeit faith is far more destructive. As we've considered as Paul is writing this to Timothy, he's thankful for the genuine faith that is found in him. That word is also translated in various translations as sincere or unfeigned. Unfeigned or sincere. How about you this morning? Is your faith genuine? Is it real? Is it true? Or is it counterfeit? Is it faked? Is it feigned? Is it pretended? Let's consider some things this morning. And our lesson this morning, it comes in two parts. In part number one, we're going to identify genuine faith. What is it? What does it look like? How do I know if I have it? And then part number two this morning, we're going to ask the question, how might we develop that faith. And so this morning, part number one, identifying genuine faith. As we're identifying genuine faith, consider some identifying marks of counterfeit faith. Some identifying marks of counterfeit faith. Number one, counterfeit faith is a faith that will not trust. A faith that will not trust. If you remember in Matthew chapter number 6, it's right in the middle of, of the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus makes this statement, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not so much more even clothe you, O you of little faith? And apparently there were some, that, as Jesus was speaking, that were worried about those mundane things. They didn't have faith or trust in God that God would take care of them. But, but Jesus says, look, even the grass of the field is taken care of. Won't God take care of you? A faith that will not trust. We consider also Matthew chapter number 8 and verse number 26. In Matthew chapter 8, we have the calming of the storm on the Sea of Galilee in which they go out into the boat and Jesus is found sleeping <coughs> and the apostles rush to his side as he's sleeping on a pillow as, as Mark chapter 4 tells us and they say, Master, do you care that we're perishing? Sing that song to, to Jackson and Emmy every night. Master, the tempest is raging because in the chorus is peace be still, peace be still, right? Trying to calm them down. But can you imagine being in that situation, in that scenario where, where the tempest is raging, which they thought that they were legitimately going to lose their life, that their life was in danger, and Jesus is in the, the lower part of the ship with his head on a pillow, and he's asleep. Do you not care that we're perishing? What is Jesus' answer? O ye of little faith, O ye of little faith. And he calms and rebukes the winds and the storm, and it settles down, and you can imagine thinking as an apostle in that situation, as, as it said, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? 
Or maybe in chapter 14 of Matthew, in verse number 31, in which as Peter begins to step out into the sea and he begins to walk on the water and his fear begins to, to crop up with inside of him and, and he begins to sink and Jesus reaches his hand out and grabs him and pulls him up. And again, Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Uh, think about that for a moment. Jesus is out walking in the water and, and Peter's already seen him calm the storm and, and, and heal all these different individuals and perform all these various miracles. And Peter even steps out onto the water and he actually begins to walk on the water. If at any moment you had, should have had trust in Jesus and in God to take care of you, it would have been in that moment where you're doing something that was above the natural, that was outside of the natural realm. He was walking on water and he didn't trust. As he looked around and saw the tempest, he began to sink. We understand that the faith of these individuals was growing, and as we'll talk about, our faith is, is a faith that should be and is growing all the time, and so we ought not to cast judgment necessarily on an individual with growing faith, but a counterfeit faith is one that will not trust, a one that will not trust. What about in Ma- Matthew chapter 16, verses 8 through 9? In this particular text, we have the, the disciples, the apostles that were worried about the fact that they had forgotten to bring provisions. They had forgotten to bring some bread with them, some food to eat. And as they're going along the way, they ask, well, what are we going to do about this? And if you look just in the previous few verses, maybe a chapter before, Jesus had fed the 4,000 with just a few loaves and fishes. And Jesus is still with them. And here they are worried about what they're going to eat. A faith that will not trust. Number two, identifying marks of a counterfeit faith is a faith that will not produce. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter number 2, as we consider this idea of faith, let's look at what James has to say about a faith that is active, that is living, as opposed to a faith that is dead. Notice verse number 17. James says, Thus also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. Or for the purposes of our lesson this morning, it's counterfeit. It's not real. Consider also verse number 20. Consider that he said it, faith without works is dead. In verse 20 he says, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And again in verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. An individual that claims to have faith but does not produce anything with that faith, that does not have works in his life that demonstrate the genuineness of that faith, that faith is counterfeit. That faith is dead. That faith is not living. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. In a similar fashion, consider number three, that faith that will not act is a mark of counterfeit faith. Faith that will not act. We've already considered uh, verses 17 and 20, but look at verse number 19 of James chapter 2. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe. Even the demons believe and tremble. You see, there's one thing as, as you think about believing and you think about what it means to actually come to a conclusion about something, but faith is more. 
as we'll, as we'll look later on in Hebrews chapter 11, as our scripture reading came from this morning, that faith is more than simply just an, an intuitive knowledge of something and believing it and coming to a conclusion about it, that faith is trust and faith is action. Faith is acting out what it is that you <coughs> believe. And so, in Mark chapter 1, verse 24, another account of the demons uh, being cast out in that case in Jesus, in which he says to Jesus, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, even the demons believe, even the demons believed and trembled, and yet they didn't do something about it. They didn't follow after him. How many of us could, be, could that be said about that yes, we have come to a conclusion about the matter, that Jesus is who he says he is, and yet we don't follow him, and yet we don't produce or act upon that belief. We consider number four, identifying marks of counterfeit faith is faith that will not speak up. Turning the Bibles to John chapter 12, a faith that will not speak up. As Jesus was making his way through Israel and through the, through the various tribes there and through, through that territory as he was teaching and people began to see the things that he was doing. They began to believe on him. But yet there were some Jews that rejected him. But notice in John chapter 12, verse number 42, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. The rulers of the Jews, those that, that were of high esteem and those that had prominence in their positions, they believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Faith that is counterfeit is a faith that will not speak up. A faith that will not speak about what it actually believes. A faith that is inside of one individual perhaps, and they believe it to be inside of them, but if they really begin to examine that faith and see that it, it's counterfeit, they'll notice that they want, they're not speaking up about Jesus to their friends. They're not talking about him at work. They're not talking about him to their family at home. They're not talking about him to their friends, and, and they're not focusing on him throughout their day, daily lives and on their, in their daily uh, actions, but rather they're, they're just keeping it inward, and they're not sharing it with others and confessing his, that, that faith in Jesus to others. They're not speaking up. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, we have this idea of confession and faith that will not, such faith will not save, but for confessing Christ is necessary Similarly, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, Jesus talks about the importance of confession. A faith that is counterfeit is one that will not speak up. But consider number five, faith that will not travel. Faith that will not travel. We already began to touch on it with this idea of, of not speaking about Jesus to our friends. But a faith that will not travel as we consider Luke chapter 18 and verse 10. And then Luke chapter 18 and verses 15 through 17. In verse 10 we have Jesus and his followers in the garden. And Malchus and Judas come. Judas, Judas comes to point out who Jesus is. And Peter draws the sword and he cuts off the ear of Malchus. What seems to be some sort of pseudo faith in that he believes who Jesus is to the point that he's going to defend him. But then just a few short verses later, in verses 15 through 17, we find Peter, the same individual that cut off Malchus's ear, 
We find him denying Jesus as his Lord. We find him denying the fact that he was a follower of Jesus. Faith that will not travel depends on, or is one that is dependent upon, their external environment, where they are, who they're with, who they're talking to. Some signs of an environmental faith, of of a faith that will not travel. Praying in public, in the pulpit, but not in private. What about studying the Bible when at the services of the, of the, of the church, but not at home, not in private? How about a lack of personal closeness and dependence upon God and Jesus Christ, actually trusting in Him, as opposed to trying to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps in, in every situation in that, yes, there's a, there's a time where we need to just get up and go, but we also need to trust in God that he's going to take care of us and provide for us. A faith that will not travel, but rather that depends on where they are. That person, when they're taken out of such an environment, maybe in Bible class, maybe at home, maybe as a high school student that goes off to college, and what they seem to be was such a, a genuine individual that truly had a strong faith But they go off to college and things change. They come back a different person. Could it be because they had a faith that was only developed and rooted in in home and not within their own hearts? We see that very often, unfortunately. Well, number six, as we consider some identifying marks of counterfeit faith, consider that faith, a faith that does not reason A faith that does not reason. Jesus says that we're to love him with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our minds. Did you know that gullible was written on the ceiling this morning before we came in? If you looked, it's it's not. It's just that old joke, that trick that people play on a young person, right? That idea of the gullible nature of someone that is credulous, that, that believes something without any type of evidence about it. Jesus, God, doesn't call us to faith without evidence. Hebrews chapter 11, and all through it, and and this idea that that God provided for these individuals time and time again. Yes, God asked them to do things that they had never seen before or seen happen before, and yet they did them, but that was based upon the evidence that they had seen that God had already worked in different areas in their lives already. So we think about faith, there is evidence that, that predicates that that development of faith. And when we think about this faith that comes about through reason, it's a faith that is truly genuine and it's not counterfeit. The world looks at faith and they say, well, it's just a blind leap in the dark. That there's no evidence that there's something that's going to be there for your foot to land on. But that's not true biblical faith. Faith is truly based on evidence, things that we've seen. Trust in God because of what he's done in the past and what he'll continue to do in the future. Many have this misconception of faith that it's something that we just, we just have rather than we develop based on evidence. And that's not the case. We consider on the flip side of the coin this morning some identifying marks of genuine faith. Some identifying marks of genuine faith. We could take those previous six and just flip them all over, right? We could say that, that genuine faith is a faith that does trust. The genuine faith is a, a faith that does produce and that, that does act and that does speak up and that does travel and that does reason. 
But consider these four. Genuine faith is a faith that is confident. A faith that is confident. Hebrews chapter 11. It does not continuously or constantly doubt. It has a strong conviction in things unseen because of the evidence that it has already weighed and, and meted out especially in God and his promises. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please him. Think about this idea of faith that is confident, but also thinking about this idea of faith that confesses. Faith that confesses. We've already referenced Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and the importance of confession, but let's also turn our Bibles to John chapter 20. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 20 all the way at the end of the Gospels. We have this account at the very end of, of, of summing up everything that we've, we've just read, if you will. John chapter number 20, verse number 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's not talking about the fact that we don't have evidence to see and trust in. He's talking about the idea that we have not seen Jesus in the flesh. And when we don't see Jesus in the flesh and yet we still trust in him and trust in God, that we are blessed. And Thomas, he didn't believe, he didn't trust in the resurrection until he saw Jesus and put his hands in his side. But a faith that confesses, a faith that truly believes or, or communicates to others that, that trust in Jesus despite the fact that we haven't seen him physically with our own eyes is a faith that is to be commended, but also a faith that is clear. A faith that is clear, it's transparent. It's not one that is pretended or faked or disguised. In James chapter 2 verse 24, we've already considered this idea that faith that, that is justified by works and not by faith. We're, we're, we're justified by works and not by faith only. But also a faith that works through love and not by works only. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 6, but faith working through love. Have you ever seen an individual perhaps that, that yes, they claim to have faith. And they try to show it in some way, but, but they're really, really forcing it. And maybe they're, uh, they're almost to the point of faking it just so that maybe they, they, they seem to have faith. The faith that the Bible talks about is clear. It does it with love. It does it with uh, genuineness and sincerity. It acts in a way that, that it really means it. It doesn't just pretend or disguise so that other people think that they have faith. There's a lot of people perhaps maybe even sitting in the pew this morning here in this building that are here in the pew because it's a way to demonstrate to others the faith that they, that they purport to have but don't actually have. By being here, it, it shows that they believe in God but maybe in their heart of hearts. They're not truly trusting in him. A faith that is clear is one that acts with its works, but also in love, that it's genuine and it's clear and transparent. It's not faked or disguised, but also faith that is credible. 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, the, the verse we read at the very beginning, that Paul commends Timothy for his genuineness of faith, or a faith that was unfeigned, that word unfeigned, this idea of not being faked, this idea of it being genuine or sincere, not being something that is, is contrived, but a faith that is credible, something that is believable. 
how do we get this genuine faith? How do we develop it? Consider part two this morning, developing genuine faith. You see, genuine currency undergoes a specific process to ensure its authenticity. You've seen the the ribbons that go through the $100 bill or the various stamps that are on it, and they go through the processes like that to ensure that that counterfeits cannot match up to it so you can distinguish between it and those that are counterfeit. As we're developing genuine faith, let's consider how genuine faith is not developed. How genuine faith is not developed. Number one, genuine faith is not simply inherited. It's not simply inherited. We mentioned earlier that we see sometimes that the college students go off to college and, and they come back and they've lost that faith. They no longer possess that faith that they seem to once have. The thing about faith is it's not something that, they, that can be necessarily inherently passed down to an offspring. It's something that we need to possess in and of ourselves. And, and there may be some in the, the audience this morning that are of the older generation. They say, yes, sir, or amen. And, and they look at the younger generation and they say, see, that, that's the truth. But there's even some in the older generation, perhaps, that maybe haven't wrestled with those things that they need to wrestle with, that they're only sitting in the pew this morning because that's the same thing that they've always done. They've always been here, even since the very beginning of their life, that their mother and father began carrying them in there. And they haven't actually genuinely wrestled with those things that they need to reason about, as we talked about earlier. That their faith isn't actually genuine. Yeah, it's a habit to be here. And yeah, it's a regular occurrence for them to be here. And they may even, we may even look at them and it may seem like their faith is genuine. But it's not inheritable. It's not something that just comes about just because you were born into a Christian family. It's something that you need to truly wrestle with. We're not talking about faith that's, that's on the surface. We're talking about, remember, genuine faith. Faith that is true and authentic. It's not inheritable. But it's also not accidentally contracted. It's not accidentally contracted. It's not caught like a common cold. Just by being here with other individuals, by showing up to various devotionals, young people, or or by going to the 50 plus group uh, to, to, to spend time with other people your age, that, that you're, just, you're not gonna just accidentally contract faith. It doesn't work like that. It's something that you work on and you develop again in your own heart We'll talk about that more here in just a moment, that yes, there are benefits to being around other people that have faith, okay, but it doesn't just become caught like a common cold, but it's also not fortunately received, not fortunately received. There's some in the world that that purport or teach that that faith simply comes out out of the sky, if you will, that it just drops on random people and that some people are lucky that they've developed faith and other people are just unlucky that that God didn't choose them to have that faith. That's not the case. Yes, there are times where you might have a a moment where things begin to click, or you might seem to have an epiphany, but that's because, as we'll talk about here in just a moment, it's because you've studied the Word of God or because you've heard somebody else expound the Word of God more appropriately to you. But it's not developed through illumination or epiphany like some people seem to teach, that it just comes out of nowhere and you're lucky to have it. But rather consider how genuine faith is truly developed. Number one, genuine faith is developed through the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith, very clearly for us, how do we get faith? How do we develop it? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith doesn't just fall out of the sky. 
Faith just isn't uh, inherited through DNA. Faith isn't contracted like a common cold. It comes through the Word of God. The Word of God was designed to produce faith. The books were written to create and strengthen faith. John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. These things and many other things Jesus did, but these are written that you might know and believe in him. Similarly, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things are written so that you may be assured of your salvation, that you might be confident in it, that you might believe. The Bible contains evidence to develop that faith as we've already mentioned. Things like the harmony of the scripture, scientific foreknowledge, things like fulfilled prophecy and eyewitness testimony. Over and over and over again, the Bible produces evidence for us to show us that we can be confident in it and trust in it. That's where faith is developed. And when people don't consider fulfilled prophecy, and when they don't consider eyewitness testimony, and when they don't consider scientific foreknowledge, and when they don't consider the harmony of the scriptures, that's when faith is shallow. That's when faith isn't rooted in reasoning. It's rooted in a blind leap of faith in the dark. Genuine faith comes through the word of God and actually looking at it and reading what it says and taking it into our own hearts. Are we willing to allow the Bible to produce a faith that is genuine? Because it's not going to come from anywhere else. It's only going to come from the scriptures. How genuine faith is developed, not only through the word of God, but also through the family of God. Now, understand, as a moment ago, we said it's not contracted like a common cold just by being around other Christians that you're going to develop a genuine faith. But notice from our original reading this morning, 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, that that genuine faith that was found in Timothy, Paul says, was also in his grandmother and in his mother, Lois and Eunice, that it's very, very accurate and understandable to say that many of us, perhaps all of us, are individuals that possess genuine faith because of the fact that other people have invested in us and their genuine faith rubbed off on us. Not that we caught it like a common cold, but that it influenced us and it encouraged us and it impacted us. Our faith is strengthened by our association with other Christians Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25. Let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But let us come together and encourage and exhort one another. Perhaps you, you visualize this expectation that you need to be here on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night as simply just a, a checkbox to, to check off to, to appease the elders so that they don't come knocking on your door so that, so that maybe uh, you uh, maybe check off that checklist so that God lets you into heaven. That's not the case. Understand, we're not, it's not a works-based or meritorious-based salvation that, that we're not doing these things just so we can get into heaven. But rather understand that as we come together as Christians and our faith is weak and our faith is, is having a hard time, that as we come even together on a Wednesday night, and you've heard that phrase used before that our, our spiritual batteries are recharged, it's the truth, brethren. And if you're not here on Wednesday night, you're missing out. You're missing out on an opportunity for your faith to be recharged, for your faith to be encouraged and strengthened. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the, matter of some, uh, as the manner of some is, but rather come together and encourage and exhort one another. Be here. When your faith is weak, when your faith is wavering, you haven't been showing up to assemble with the saints, it's a good question, a good answer can be found to that question whether or not you're here. Yes, it's developed by the word of God. Our faith is strengthened and encouraged there. But understand 
That is, was said in Hebrews chapter 3, that they ought not to be uh, concerned about the things of this world, but rather they should be individuals that are encouraging one another, lest they be individuals that waver and go on the wayside and no longer have a faith that is sure and steadfast. Faith that is developed, a genuine faith is developed through the Word of God and through the family of God, but also consider, finally, that genuine faith is developed through walking with God. We said earlier that faith ought not to be judged in the sense that if your faith is slightly weaker than someone else's, that, that you're inherently a bad person. Okay? Faith is, is a growing endeavor. It's something that we're continually increasing in. Okay? But consider that Abraham being the father of the faithful was one that also grew in faith. Galatians chapter 3 verses 7 through 9 talks about us being individuals as descendants of him, our descendants of him being a father of our faith in a sense. Know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. We consider that Abraham demonstrated his faith by walking with God and wherever God told him. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 through 9, though he'd never seen the country to which he was going, he trusted God and followed him. And though he had never seen an old lady like his wife, Sarah, have a, have a child, they, they, they had faith and they trusted him. Yes, at first it, it took a little bit of convincing, if you will, but they trusted in him. Even to the point that his faith continued to grow from one point in which he just followed God in which he had never seen the land, and then eventually he's following God in which he'd never seen a woman that old have a child, and now he's following God to the point in verse, uh, verses 17 through 18 that he's offering his son Isaac upon the altar. You can see the progression and the growth of his faith. His faith was not developed all at once, but in stages. If we were to say that our faith was developed immediately at the very moment of uh, at one particular point, then we couldn't say that we could grow anymore. Rather, our faith is a continual growth process. Same could be said concerning the faith of the apostles of Christ. Older people, could you say as you have aged and gotten wiser that you trust God more now than you did before? Certainly you could say that. Younger people, talk to those individuals. Learn from them. Ask them, what is it that helped your faith develop? Well, it was time and time again, me seeing God taking care of me and me trusting in him and reading his word and being with the saints and fellowshipping with them and having them encourage me. Are we willing to let our own walk with God develop a faith that is genuine? The most common and universal form of currency, perhaps in the world, is gold. Because it's a precious commodity no matter where you're from. There are a variety of ways to test the genuineness of gold. Some tests that you might see online. Uh, you might have the visual test, right? You might have the ability to weigh it and see maybe how dense it is or, or maybe even to listen to how it sounds if you tap it in a certain way. Or maybe there's even a test where you can slide it across a magnet and see how it reacts to the magnet. If, there's even an acid test that you can cut a little notch in the edge of the gold and pour a little acid in there and, and see what color it turns and, and see if it's genuine gold or not. But the best method best method is to test it with fire. To test it with fire. Testing gold with fire means that these individuals will melt it down to the point that it removes impurities and then they can test to see exactly how much was actually in that, that lump to begin with. 
but metallurgists not only test it to see how, how genuine it is in, in the bare sense of the word, but also to refine it, to be able to take out those impurities and to make it more pure and more genuine so that it's more valuable. Consider 1 Peter chapter number 1. Turn your Bibles there as we close this morning. 1 Peter chapter number 1. Notice what Peter says. Remember this individual who had a faith that was growing over time. We've already considered him a number of times through the this, this sermon this morning. But notice what he says in verse number 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested, though your faith is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice what he said there, that idea of the genuineness of their faith, though it be tried or tested with fire. Many believe that Peter was writing and alluding to the actual fiery trials that the Christians were enduring in the first century, some being even burned at the stake or, or being burned within their own dwellings and so, as some form of persecution. And so as, Paul, as Peter says this, it's like kind of a uh, tip of the hat to those individuals that were dealing with those things, that their faith was proven to be genuine, that even in the fiery trials, that their faith was true and steadfast and reliable. Oftentimes our faith is tested by the trials we go through in life. James tells us to, to be thankful for those trials because they produce patience and they help us develop into better Christian individuals. But what are trials saying about your faith? When trials come your way, and, and rest assured that they will, and they have, is your faith proving to be genuine? Or is it proving to be counterfeit? Could someone look at your faith based upon the way that you're reacting to a given situation, based upon even perhaps some sort of actual persecution that might come our way as, as our country digresses further and further away from Christian principles? What is being said about your faith by those trials? Is your faith one that's, that rises up as, if we might think about it, like the cream of the crop and, and one that is genuine? Or is it one that sh shies away, that ought to be cast aside because it has so many impurities and counterfeit qualities? There's really no legitimate excuse not to have a genuine faith. After all, God has provided his word, his family. He's provided the opportunity to be a companion of his in our walk through this world. Working together through those three things, we can produce a faith that is genuine. But when people think of you, what kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith comes to their remembrance? Could it be said by the Apostle Paul of your faith that it produces gratitude, that it produces happiness and joy about the things that you possess, or does it produce sadness in others? And the fact that your faith is weak your faith is not strong, it's not genuine, it's not authentic, it's not real. Make it right this morning. Begin by reading the Word of God. Begin by assembling with the saints. Begin by committing your life to Christ and beginning that walk with God and trust in Him. Colossians chapter 2 talks about the fact that when we submit to Him in baptism, we are demonstrating faith. 
that we're trusting him. Have you demonstrated that trust this morning? Are you a Christian? Are you one that has submitted to him in baptism? If, you're, if not, make that right and become one this morning and, and have a genuine faith. Or perhaps you are a Christian and for far too long your faith has been inauthentic. It has been counterfeit. It has been one that has been wavering with the trials of life. If there's anything we can do for you this morning, make it right this morning as together we stand and as we sing. Have you a heart that's weary Lending a load of care Are you a soul that's taking Rest from the burden you bear Do you not, my Jesus? Do you know, my friend, have you heard he loves you and that he will abide till he Yeah.